What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three scrolls that really need to find a new home. Hopefully, this show will address that. It would be crazy not to, right? I'm Matt Johnson, and I like listening to Ben Mendelsohn say other characters' names. Do you guys want to hear my favorite one? I would like to hear it. Is it his own name when he goes, Talos? I'm Talos. <laughs> no. no, it's when he says his daughter's name. Um, there's something about that, like, Australian accent of his, or maybe like New Zealand accent, whichever one it is, like, kind of that still comes through in his, like, American roles. But just the way he says, Goya. Goya, please. Goya. <laughs> we need to show them our hearts. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> All right. I'm Keith Baker, and I had no idea that Fury's eye patch was something that was optional. And I'm Austin Terry. And I think at some point, Fury should have more seriously considered calling in his special friends. <laughs> All right. Where are your special friends? <laughs> um, on today's show, of course, we are covering the series as well as the finale of the new Marvel Disney Plus show with Secret Invasion. With so many MCU projects, we hope that a change in tone to the spy thriller Winter Soldier type vibe would be what we needed to keep things fresh. We did an episode a few weeks ago covering the first two episodes, so go check that out if you haven't already. But before we get to the rest of this, are are you also as soul crushed as I am to hear that this week they delayed the future Academy Award winner, Craven the Hunter, all the way until next August? I am soul crushed, and it's mainly for one man, and that's our dear friend Russell Crowe. Because the man, if this really will be an Academy Award winning picture, the man is in need of it desperately. His last good movie was The Nice Guys in 2016. Since then, it's been seven years of dud after dud. Please, Russell Crowe, make a good movie at some point in your aging career. Wait, I haven't been keeping up with like his recent resume of movies. I don't think so anyone has. <laughs> name, one of, name one of his duds, Austin. I'm curious. Well, earlier this year, he did that like exorcist movie the pope's exorcist where he was the main character for some reason the pope <laughs> so crows no he pope. was he was Crap. the pope's exorcist i literally couldn't tell you a single movie he's been in in the last seven years <laughs> the man's an academy award-winning actor what's he doing maybe this is like a Michael Keaton situation where Russell Crowe's in all the trailers, but he's not actually in the final cut of the movie uh, we should probably hope so for his sake <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get off Craven. Unfortunately, we'll have to wait over a year before we get to that one. With that, how about let's get into it. Remind everyone your thoughts on episode one and two, as well as your non-spoiler thoughts on the rest and finale of Secret Invasion. Yeah, the show's an interesting one for me. I, we talked about with episodes one and two that, at least for me, I, I wasn't quite hooked yet. There were some interesting plot lines, but it hadn't really kind of gotten its teeth into me. Um, and I think... The high point of the show for me was episodes four and five. I felt that was when the show kind of really came into its stride. All of the political and like undercover elements of the show became like characters were getting involved in very interesting ways. And so I was super high on this show, like headed into the finale. Couldn't wait to see how they were going to wrap it up. And then the finale just kind of really let me down. It didn't answer a lot of my questions. It introduced like new open plot threads that just by the nature of the MCU, I have no idea when those are going to get resolved. I don't know when we're going to see some of these like new characters that we've gotten to know again. So at the end of the day, I was, I think the majority of the show I was impressed by, but then I was kind of left like, I don't know if they stuck the landing with the finale of the show. So I think I was left feeling a little hollow by the time it wrapped up. Yeah, I think I'm pretty much perfectly matched with you, Austin. I wasn't hooked right away either. I was definitely interested to see Nick Fury, you know, as the lead. Uh, and something Marvel was, but yeah, I wasn't not hooked right away. And then, then going into like you said, three, four, and five, 
I definitely got more interested in it. Like like you said, the politics stuff coming in, uh, the action uh, got a little bit better. Um, you learned a lot more about the these characters' past, like the different politics within the scrolls, and then how they've maybe infiltrated parts of our world and, and governments. And then I'm kind of like you going into uh, the finale. I don't know what to say. I don't want to say I was let down, but I was definitely like, I feel like we need more episodes. It's supposed to be like a mini series type thing, but it's like, well, they opened up a whole bunch of cans of worms. It's like, and now they're just going to stop it now. It's like, okay. Um, so I thought that was, it was kind of like awkward, I guess is the best way I could put it for me. I was like, okay, I guess it's, that was weird. <laughs> like it, it got really intense there for a couple episodes and all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, it's done now. I'm like, oh, I feel like we we're just building up to something. So that's kind of where I'm at. Um, I think it definitely got better as it went along for me. Um, but yeah, I would have liked to see more to this story. Yeah, the wrap up was particularly baffling because some more governments get involved with the scroll invasion. And then it feels like, oh, now we're actually dealing with the secret invasion. And then it, the credits roll. So it was, I felt like we should have still had like two or three more episodes. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess I'm basically with you guys. I think I would probably skew maybe even more negative. I, I don't know. It's just, this is kind of the MCU, particularly their show model, it seems like these days. They, in the sense that they have a solid premise, which usually means the first episode and maybe even the second episode, which I would argue in this case was both. We're solid because they have a good foundation, a good idea to build off of. But whenever they have to keep it going, even just for a few more episodes, it's not like there's a lot. Um, they just don't seem to be able to do it. Um, they introduce interesting stories and concepts and they don't follow through. Secret Invasion, I think, out of all of them is the most baffling example of that, to your guys' point. Because literally when it ends, it's like, this story isn't done. Like, I didn't like Moon Knight at all, but even when it got to the end of that season, I was like, oh, okay, you know, they might do a second season or he'll pop up in a movie, but this was at least a contained story with a beginning, middle, and end. Secret Invasion doesn't have an ending. We see in the first episode Nick Fury come back, and it was it's a big deal that he's back, and they introduce what he needs to do, and he basically checks off one of five boxes, and then <laughs> that's the end of the show. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> we're supposed to be satisfied. Um, I think the show could have been called Fury. I think the best part of the show is Samuel Jackson's performance. And as it goes on, it seems very clear they actually wanted to peel the curtains back and tell a Fury-centric story. Um, and that's okay. I think and the show gets high marks in those scenes. Um, unfortunately, they called it Secret Invasion. And by the time it ended, I was like, oh, it feels like we're actually getting to the Secret Invasion now. And then like Austin said, then the credits roll. It's like, the show just had too many elements going on, I think. The biggest positive, like I said, is they nailed the Fury side of it for the most part, but then they just left all the secret invasion with all these open threads and even more questions, and it's pretty disappointing. Um, I think kind of the most damning thing I can say is, like, is it a bad show? No, I don't think I would call it a bad show, but when those final credits rolled, I did wonder why I even wasted time watching it. Not that it was, again, it's not bad, but I was like, what was really the point of this? Um, because... It's like, it kind of feels like in future movies or shows, they're actually going to tackle the interesting thing. And then it kind of begs the question, couldn't we just have done the whole secret invasion in whatever that next thing is? Because he didn't do much interesting here. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I would say it's a bad show either. I would definitely say it's a forgettable show. I think if you asked me in three weeks what happened in Secret Invasion, I, would, I wouldn't be able to tell you because I'm never going to think about this show again. And then we're going to get to the next Marvel project. And I'm like, oh yeah, that show came out. I guess I need to go watch a recap. So very forgettable. I think the best part, though, like you said, Matt, are the theory elements. I still 
don't necessarily know if I changed the way I think about Nick Fury, though, by the time this show wrapped up. He still is always going to kind of be just the S.H.I.E.L.D. guy to me, I think. And I think they're okay having him play that role. But I, I don't think getting extended time with him like, actually changed the way I feel or think about Nick Fury coming into the show. I do think they nailed the tone, though, just for one other positive element. They did keep they did start off the show with a good, consistent like Winter Soldier tone. And I thought they nailed that all the way through the added kind of violence elements I thought really kind of made this feel like an aged up project. So all of that stuff kind of going on in the background, I enjoyed, too. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. Um, But yeah, I think that's it for uh, non-spoilers we can really get into here for now. So if you're someone that has not uh, started Secret Invasion, maybe you did, you haven't finished it and you are planning on it, go ahead and do that first and then come on back, listen to the rest of this with us. Uh, If you're someone that maybe is feeling the MCU burnout a little bit, you don't really care about the show and you're kind of waiting for it to wrap up and hear some thoughts. Fortunately, it sounds like the three of us are kind of like, at best we could say, it was fine, but it's kind of forgettable, maybe a bit of a waste of time, depending on how some of these things get wrapped up in the future. So I would just say, you're better off maybe just listening to us talk about or watching a recap. So just stick with us. Let's get into some spoilers. And we did have a little goatee talk on last week's episode. We mentioned uh, Ben Affleck's goatee in Chasing Amy. I, I'm just curious, how would you rank Samuel L. Jackson's goatee in Secret Invasion versus Ben Affleck's goatee? I would say considerably better. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, welcome to Spoiler Territory. Before we get into our thoughts, Austin and Keith, let's do our quick little cast, crew, and reception breakdown. All right, so the show Secret Invasion was created by Kyle Bradstreet, who you may know from Copper, Mr. Robot, and Berlin Station. All six episodes are directed by Ali Salem, who is most well known as a commercial director with over 850 credits. Television-wise, you may also know him from Treatment and Manhunt. The show is written by Bradstreet and Brian Tucker, and our score for the show is composed by Chris Bowers. And of course, based on the 2008 Marvel Comics run Secret Invasion by Brian Michael Bendis. All right, and going through our cast, we have Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury, Ben Mendelsohn as Talos, or Talos, I don't know how you say it. Amelia Clark as Gaia, Kingsley Benadir as Gravik, Don Cheadle returning as Rhodey, Dermot Mulroney as President Ritson, and we got Olivia Coleman as Sonia Fallsworth, and we got Charlene Woodward as Priscilla Fury. All right, guys, there's our cast and crew. Any positives, any negatives? What do we got? Yeah, I'm going to give my highlight to Olivia Coleman as Sonia Fallsworth. This is definitely a smaller part for her in the show, but every time she was on the screen, she stole the show for me, loved her chemistry with Fury, loved the way she interacted with the Skrulls and the various government agents. She, I thought, added the most levity to the show while also doing some of the darker stuff in the show, like torture. Uh, The way she kind of balanced her character through all these different uh, scenes that she was in, I just found super engaging, and I hope there's a way for her to come back in the future. I'll give my highlight to Ben Mendelsohn. Matt, you said it earlier. Uh, This guy has a cool voice. Such a cool actor. He's good at playing a villain, good at playing a hero. Um, I really liked him as Talos. I felt like that was the character I really was attached to the most. Like any scene with him in Fury was really, uh, really cool. It makes me want to go back and watch uh, Captain Marvel now, too, because it seems like I've only seen the movie once, so it seems like they had a pretty good relationship in that, too, if I'm not mistaken. I really enjoyed all the scenes with uh, Talos calling out Nick Fury on his bullshit, like telling him that you abandoned us, we made. We made your career. Any, any scene where they, he was challenging him, most of the time I was on Talos' side. And so I, I enjoyed... Usually Fury kind of gets away with everything in the MCU, so it was nice to have a character kind of 
go toe-to-toe with him and call him out for stuff he's done in the past. I guess I'll call out, um, maybe I'll mix it up a bit. I'll call out the, um, because like we've, I think, all said, uh, Sam Jackson's Nick Fury, especially good in this one, but I'll call out specifically the chemistry between him and Charlene Woodard as Priscilla Fury, who we later come to know as Vara. Really like their relationship. I think it was episode four, which gives us the flashback, uh, which gives a little bit more context into their relationship. And then we see it in the present and she's struggling. She's like, I don't know, should I go through with this? And then he's with Killing Fury, potentially, like going with Gravik because Nick Fury's been gone for so long and she has her own life here, but he still loves her. Then they like pretend to shoot each other. And then I don't know. I thought there was a lot of like subtlety and nuance to their relationship and the writing for it specifically. Um, some questions, but ultimately, I think their chemistry was really good, and I like the scenes with them. And then, I haven't given a negative in a long time. I'm still not going to, but I just want to be positive, even though I'm going to be talking very negatively about this character the rest of the show. I think Gravik as a villain is absolutely terrible. Um, truly bottom-tier Marvel villain. It's <laughs> a shame, um, because, yeah, I mean, all of their villains lately are, are pretty bad. Uh, but Kingsley Benadire is a great actor. I love him in everything I've seen. Um, and he was very good, despite given just shit material. And I particularly like the finale when he finally uh, calls out Fury, revealed to be Gaia after, giving us some motivation at least. I thought that like confrontation was very like, ooh, got some acting on display. Uh, the character's terrible, but uh, <laughs> I got just to shout him out because that'll be the only positive I've had talking in relation to graphic. <laughs> I really want to talk about that finale scene more because I was enjoying... Theory kind of copping to some of the stuff that Gravik was accusing him of, but then when it's revealed to be Gaia, Theory didn't really have that character growth because he's not there. Yeah, did she make all that up or did Fury yeah. tell her that stuff? I don't know. It was so confusing. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. And it really took away like the growth of Theory for me too because yeah. yeah, it was just kind of disappointing. Yeah, I can. Yeah, we'll talk about the finale for sure. I have a lot of questions, um, but let's go ahead and we'll make that a part of our larger discussion here. Let's go ahead and dive into more detail right now and get into our in-depth reform discussion. The main part of our show where each of us brings some random points, things that stuck out to us that we wanted to write down and remember so that we could talk about it specifically in more detail. So, guys, let's get started. Where are we going first? Yeah, last time we talked about this show, uh, we kind of all in varying degrees mentioned that we weren't quite hooked yet. So I just wanted to check back in on that point. Was there ever a moment where you were like all in on this show and you couldn't wait to see the next episode? I, I definitely got more interested, I would say, when Fury was fired by uh, Rhodey. Uh, that definitely was interesting to me. So I think from there, that definitely kind of hooked me a little bit more and made me ready for the next you know, upcoming episodes. I think for me, the, the highest point this show ever got was the midpoint of episode four when the submarine plot kind of kicks off, uh, Gaia gets shot, and then we go kind of right into that big gun battle in episode five. That sequence of events I thought was the highest point that the show ever got to for me. Yeah, it's a weird um, show in the sense that I was like hooked at multiple points. I would say the ending of every episode got me hooked, but then the uh, subsequent episode would start. And they would kind of try and flush out what they what that cliffhanger had been. And then it kind of becomes meandering and then it would lose me. And then I would kind of get hooked again at the end of that episode. And then it was just kind of a pattern that repeated itself. For example, I mean, with the first episode ending with the death of Maria Hill at the hands of a like scrolled fury was interesting. Episode two ends with Nick Fury like walking up to a house. It's like, what's this? And then you see a scroll like washing dishes or making something. It's like, what's happening? And then it reveals to be a wife that he's had this entire time, which is you know, a cool dynamic. 
a three, I think, is um when his wife then uh wants to call Gravik. You're like, oh, is she gonna be bad? And then of course, I think the next one is whenever we see Talos or Talos killed. Um, and then five, of course, is the big fury, like going to my grave, getting this MacGuffin. Then I'm gonna put on my cool eye patch and my jacket <laughs> because I'm Nick Fury and I'm back. So like every episode ended in a way I was like, oh wow, I'm definitely gonna watch the next episode as soon as I can. But then once the next episode would start, it was kind of just like I said, that process would continue and it would like lose me. And it's like, it was like I said, it was never bad, but it was just like, I wouldn't get hooked again until the ending of like the next episode. So it was a, it was a very weird thing. I do want to pat myself on the back a little bit, though, because I did uh, make the call in our other episode that Rhodey was a secret scroll. Mm. You did. You did. You were right. Wow, wow, wow. And my friend Matt adamantly denied that he would be a scroll. Did I? You did. You said they wouldn't have included those smaller scenes of him saying, like, I'm going to carpet bomb Indonesia and stuff like that because they wouldn't have done that if he was a scroll. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I thought it was weird that, like, Rhodey had scenes to herself, I guess, is the way to word this. I thought that was cool, by the way. I thought it was cool that Rhodey was being impersonated by a female scroll, which must happen a lot with the scrolls. I just hadn't really thought about it. I thought that was cool. Um, but, yeah, that is weird in, like, retrospect. They did include a lot of, like solo scenes with Rhodey, like giving us his or her perspective. And I was like, well, yeah, why did they do that if they were just going to be a scroll? But uh, yeah, a good call. And I did end up liking Rhodey a lot in terms of a performance as it went on, because I mean, Don Judo's just a great actor. So like you can think about his previous appearances in the MCU and kind of the vibe of that character. And when you're watching this show, you just know something's a little bit different. And it's because Don Cheadle is having to play a different character who's trying to impersonate uh, Rhodey. <laughs> so it's kind of a nice layered thing. So I thought the performance uh, was strong, knowing that uh, they were a scroll the whole time. How long do you think Rhodey has been a scroll? Do you think it goes all the way back to when Don Cheadle replaced Terrence Howard and the scroll just kind of got it slightly wrong? Yeah, the scroll like messed up on accident. <laughs> I don't know. That's been a whole like weird discourse. Like people online are upset because they're like, this mean they proved to us that Rhodey has been a scroll since Civil War. And I was like, I don't. Am I stupid? Like, I, I, did, I missed that. I was like, where's the proof of that? Yeah. But I did laugh to myself when I saw that, because obviously if Rhodey has been a scroll since Civil War, that means when Tony Stark is dying on the battlefield in Endgame, <laughs> a scrolled Rhodey has to walk up and pretend to be sad and say goodbye <laughs> to his friend. <laughs> so that'd and be I guess funny. that I guess a scrolled Rhodey has been in the War Machine suit a bunch, too. Yeah. Not in this show. Why is Rhodey, like walking around protecting the president with like a pistol like yeah where's your outfit dude get your war machine armor <laughs> like, <laughs> why are you like peering around corners like james bond with a gun like shouldn't you have your armor on you <laughs> and at what point was a air force pilot promoted to the head of the secret service <laughs> i don't know i guess they couldn't afford the cgi for war machine but they could afford the terrible cgi on gaia yeah, they had to save their CGI budget to give Gaia Drax's arm in the finale, unfortunately. None of that looked good. That all looked like the worst thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I think it would have been more interesting to see a scrolled Rhodey show up in the War Machine suit, and then they have to do something about that with him having access to all that tech and firepower. Cool idea. Cool idea. We didn't have time for it in this show, unfortunately. Why was Sam Jackson shooting down helicopters with a rocket launcher when he could have been shooting down War Machine with a rocket launcher? I mean, why is Fury doing a lot of the things he's doing in this show? <laughs> why, why is everybody doing the... Why is graphic, Gravik's plan, wow. I don't even know if we could break that down. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. It changes um, every episode. 
Yeah, he just gets so angry and emotional sometimes that it makes <laughs> his plans change. Uh, and yeah, you never know what Fury is doing. Like the show keeps, and that kind of goes to the next thing. I mean, like talking about Fury as the main character. Like I said, I think in a lot of ways the show does nail the Fury stuff, and the performance is, of course, great. My only issue with it is just like the show spends like the first five episodes telling us that post blip that mm, Fury, you're not the way you used to be, pal. You've lost a step. And then in the finale, they like confirmed that, but then it turned out it was Gaia. And I, I don't know, like, are we, I don't know what we're supposed to believe. <laughs> like, is Fury still Fury? Has he lost a step? I don't, I don't know. I, I guess it goes to your point, Austin, that I, th- I guess the worst part about the Fury stuff is just the lack of an arc at the end, because the big moment, it turns out that was a scroll, maybe making up information or just repeating things that Fury had said. So, yeah, there's definitely some issues there. Yeah. And I think the main issue, too, is this show literally starts with Fury getting off the spaceship and it ends with Fury getting back on the spaceship. So Fury is at the same beginning and end point as he was before we started the show. So nothing has changed really for Fury in the broader context of the MCU. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the show like had some good setup there. Like whenever like he does watch Maria Hill die, you're like, oh, maybe they were onto something. Maybe Fury has like lost a step, and now we have to watch him kind of build himself back up over the next episodes. But we just there was too much missing, unfortunately. So when it comes to that element of Fury's main character, I think it was certainly lacking. But when it comes to his like kind of interpersonal relationships with everybody else, I found a lot of that very fascinating. I really liked the. A tale of friendship, like we talked about. There's always tons of interesting stuff being said or done between them. It is a friendship, but it is begrudging at times, and they do sometimes not trust each other. Very few scenes with him and Gaia, but even the ones that are there, I did quite like. There is a kind of like a mentorship role there. She clearly does respect him. I guess he's probably known her since she was a very young child. And then in the main one, he and his uh, wife. I thought that was some of the like heart of the show. It's definitely a show not with like a whole much of like an emotional core particularly when at the end it's like Guy is saying, this is for my mom and dad. It's like, that's the kind of stuff you're getting in this show. But the one like actual like strong stuff was like, I think the, the wife backstory, uh, there was some good stuff there. So like, did you, I don't know, I, because kind of like you guys alluded to that we certainly didn't need to dive into Fury's backstory. I mean, he's always been a mercurial character since like 2008, but they did, you know, make an effort to tell us about him a little bit. So did you guys like that stuff? Was it too much? Was it interesting? I think when you think about it too much, it gets less interesting and and honestly changes a little bit of how I feel about Fury, Um, especially when you think about the conversation between Priscilla and Gaia, where Priscilla's talking about how much she loves Nick Fury and this life they build together. But then Gaia asks, like, have you ever been able to live in your own skin with your husband? And Fury spent so much of the show talking about there's not the tolerance for another race on Earth. And it almost seems like he also didn't have the tolerance in his own marriage to let his right. wife live as a scroll. Yeah, I was confused about that too. Yeah. I mean, I, I almost took it as whenever she reveals herself as a scroll at the end, like in front of him when they board the ship, like it almost seemed like that was the first time he's seen her in her scroll form. Yeah, I was unclear about that because obviously, like in the flashbacks when like they're on Earth, we see him like leading meetings and stuff for the scrolls. And I think. I think I could be wrong. Was it his future wife? Was she the one that introduced him to the young graphic? I can't remember. Uh, either way, I would just because how how else would they have met? So I would think that he would have seen her before. But like when, we also don't, her, yeah. we also don't know the timeline of when they got married either. So it's like unclear. Like did they marry soon after that, where he has like known that she's a scroll or I don't know. 
that, and that, I guess that's kind of what I'm getting at is when you try to look beneath the hood a little bit, it just kind of leads to more questions and answers. And then it just yeah. gets more confusing thinking about the timeline and, well, how much time do they actually have together as husband and wife if he's always been doing stuff Gone. with the Avengers? And yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think the most interesting thing that we found out from his past is just that conversation we got with him and Talos, where Talos is like, dude, you were just like a desk jockey for S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, they didn't, yeah. like, you, were, you, weren't, you weren't really anything until they gave you this project with the scrolls because there was just some project that nobody else wanted to work on, and it ended up being, like, a good thing for your career to, bo- or to boost you to promotion, and then eventually got him to the 2012 Avengers. So I thought that was interesting. And all of that I found more interesting... Uh, then the stuff with Priscilla, mainly because I liked seeing a character call out Fury and say, we made your career. And then even later on, when Gravik is talking to fake Fury and he says, I was like your hitman. I murdered all these people for you. And I'm the only one to admit it had an impact on me. So I liked that stuff of all the stuff Fury's done in his career with the scrolls has not always been pleasant. And he kind of did use them for his own gain. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you guys. I think a lot of the scrolls stuff was interesting. Maybe the reason why the the stuff with him, he and Priscilla resonated more is because it's always a fine line to walk uh, when talking about Talos's death. I'm fine with Talos dying. It certainly surprised me. Didn't see that coming. Um, my problem isn't like, oh man, a character I like died. Wish we would have gotten more. I guess I just wish there could have been some type of resolution between Fury and Talos that wasn't like treated as a joke, kind of. It would have been nice to kind of get like a like a nice final scene with them acknowledging each other as friends, like Fury saying, you know what, you coming to me in Captain Marvel, you're right. That directly basically introduced me to Captain Marvel, this greater world out there, made me form the Avengers, and look where we are now, trying to do what we're doing. Uh, but there wasn't, and Talos dies, Fury seems sad about it when he's watching Graphic kill him, and then I kind of, I almost think in a comical manner, the final two episodes... It's almost like they forget Talos exists. And Fury, does he like mention it? seems like, were you friends? Doesn't seem like you care that much. So I think maybe they that's why the wife. didn't even go to his wife's... funeral. Yeah. So maybe that's why the wife stuff stuck out to me as more of a positive because I wish the Talos and kind of that overarching scroll plot had a resolution. I didn't feel like it really did, which sucks. I wish it, I wish it would have. I thought the Talos death scene was going in a polar opposite direction. I thought this soldier that had originally freaked out that there was an alien among them carrying him off the battlefield was going to show Fury that maybe there is the tolerance for scrolls to live on yeah. Earth. And then, I mean, it's, it's not an issue. That's just where I thought we were headed. I thought Me they were too. setting up that arc because they don't resolve the fact that the scrolls don't have a place to go by the end of the show either. That's the biggest thing. I mean, that's the biggest opening thread that was introduced in the first episode that then this ends with them still not having that. And it's like, aren't the scrolls just in a worse place off now? Like, there's still like a million plus of them on Earth, and now we just and their home is destroyed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now all those scrolls are just going to probably go on the defensive. So now a war is actually in play, and it wasn't previously. So that's where we end the show. <laughs> and that's when Fairy chose to leave. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I have to go now. <laughs> so he actually came down and made things worse. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. Uh, uh, and yeah, that's kind of what I was alluding to. Uh, I think it was in the non-spoiler section, but when Fury comes to Earth, he has a little checklist. He has a little uh, Kroger shopping list of things he has to pick up. Uh, and the only one that he remembers to get is to defeat my old pal Gravik. <laughs> but there's a lot of other things he needs to be doing. Uh, so I guess let's talk more about Gravik. You know, I've already said some super negative things, but just as kind of the villain of the show, 
Is there anything more to break down here? Like, maybe not even from a performance perspective, but just like a story or villain perspective? I don't know. It, it's, it's a very, like, convoluted character. Yeah, they just kept adding more and more to his plan. Like, originally, when it was, we're going to infiltrate the highest orders of government and cause World War III, and then we're going to strike and wipe out humanity. Okay, that's easy to follow. But then it's, uh-uh, now we need to become super scrolls. And I need specifically the compound that has Captain Marvel's DNA. And, oh wait, my plan got foiled. So now I want you to go ahead and bomb all my people, which I don't understand the end game there of how that then accomplishes graphics goal. So it just got more and more confusing as he kept kind of losing and having to alter his plan. And then, yeah, like I'm struggling even now to remember what Gravik's final end game was. Like you said, I know at one point it's like, okay, so now we want to convince the president of the United States that we, the Skrulls, who impersonated Russians, did in fact try to assassinate him. So then, if we are able to convince him of that, he'll launch a bomb onto our Skrull compound. So then, yeah, what was the plan? Because what was the endgame of that? Because then the Russians, or sorry, I guess it was the U.S. would then bomb the Russians, and then I guess it was still a World War III scenario, then the Russians would then bombed the U.S. It was just it was the only thing that changed that he was willing to kill the scrolls. I can't even remember. I think the ultimate end game was we get the U.S. to launch a bomb on Russian soil. Russia retaliates, and then we still have the same fallout of if they had been able to shoot down that NATO plane when they were in the sub. But I guess it, the only thing that changed was the scrolls started rebelling against him. So then he was fine with all of them dying. Yeah. So Gravik was just evil all around, and like his. Because it doesn't make sense. He wants a new home for the scrolls, but he also is willing to kill them all too. So I guess it would just be him and Squirrel Rody hanging out. Mm-hmm. That'd be fun, huh? Nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, just like went from being really interesting, like you said, with like kind of infiltrating the government was such a cool aspect, um, and then we just kind of dropped it more and more for just like kind of the standard. We gotta bomb, bomb each other. That's the plan now. And then it's one of those things like when Gravik dies at the end in kind of an unceremonious manner, just like saying a stupid villain line of like, you're just like your father. And then she like blows a beam through his chest. And he dies relatively quickly. It just kind of retroactively makes you go. It makes you think the character is even worse because it's like there's not even anything really interesting about their ending or demise or their defeat. It just happens kind of in a snap. And then it's almost like I've already basically forgotten about Gravik as a whole. Like I said, the only interesting scene was that one at the very end that you mentioned where he's like confronting uh, Gaia as Fury and talking about being Fury's hitman and being like copping to what they did. And Fury was his hero and like he looked up to him and then he just lost all that faith, which in turn made him lose faith in humanity and living amongst them. So there was some interesting stuff there. It's a shame it took six episodes to get there and then he just dies right after. So I do want to talk a bit more about the Super Scrolls and this new tech that the Scrolls created, because I guess... Now you can just create anybody with Avengers power, which is like, I guess, the next level of the super soldier serum that we've seen so many times in the MCU. So what did you think about this? I know it ended up getting destroyed in their fight, but if they can create it once, they can create it again. So is that going to take away from like the meaningfulness of of having superpowers if just anybody can do that now? Well, I guess they needed that DNA from that harvest thing they said. And I guess they can't replicate that. So I assume that that was also destroyed in the fight, meaning like they could still recreate the machine, but they can't recreate the DNA unless the Avengers came back to Earth and then they could take it from them, I guess. But 
Yeah, I guess without that harvest thing anymore, they can't replicate the DNA part of it. Maybe. I, I don't know. And maybe it's going to be like a compound V from the boys type thing, like where people could take it, but it kills them at the same time. Yeah, I could see that. Something like that. So yeah, maybe they will follow up somehow with that story. Who knows? Um, I, I like the reveal. Um, you know, in the comics, there is a character called the Super Scroll. Um, and this is kind of the MCU version of that albeit a very ridiculous thing, which we'll get into because it's just too overpowered. I mean, getting every Avenger power. In the comics, the Super Scroll is a Fantastic Four villain that only has those four powers as well. So, you know, they can stretch like Mr. Fantastic, turn invisible, make force fields like Invisible Woman, fly and use flame powers like uh, Johnny Storm, and then be strong into the thing. That's all they have. Here, it's like, let's just give them every single Avenger. <laughs> it's like, whoa, okay, that's quite a lot. So it's certainly a bit of a leap for the MCU interpretation. That being said, I still like the reveal of it. And I think the reason why it's a cool thing in the comics is because you're taking the scrolls who are shape-shifting characters and they can mimic people. So now the next kind of jump up in terms of, man, if these scrolls are bad, now they can mimic powers too. Like that's kind of scary. Um, so I guess the flip by the end of the show that Gravik is the one that dies, leaving the only other super scroll being Gaia, who's presumably for now a force of good. I guess it's interesting having a character like that who's on the side of good. I guess we'll see where that goes. But yeah, I guess I like the reveal of it. I'm fine with them experimenting with this level of like, let's give them these crazy powers. I just, you know, it leads to a goofy fight and it's probably a bit too overpowered of having every Avenger DNA in there. Guy has got to be the most powerful MCU character now, right? I guess so. <laughs> yeah, because they have all of it. The only thing I didn't see her, I didn't see her uh, use some spidey webs. Maybe they couldn't get the rights from Sony for this show. <laughs> probably exactly <laughs> what it was. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's kind of a weird way to say it. Um, nothing against Amelia Clark. I think she's fine. I think the only thing I've like really loved her in is Game of Thrones. Everything outside of that is kind of eh, hit or miss. I don't think Secret Invasion, uh, her character was her fault. This is kind of a weird thing to say. I think if they had developed that character more and in a better way in this show, it could have been kind of a cool thing at the end for that character to get injected with this thing. And like, wow, this character that we really like that is kind of cool and interesting gets all these crazy powers that we're familiar with. When the character is kind of a dud, they don't really do anything interesting with them. They're flip-flopping the whole time, and they don't even have that much screen time in the grand scheme of things. Whenever they get this crazy power, you're kind of like, okay. It made it made me wish that I cared like at all about the character, so I, I wish the show had done a better job with that, and maybe I would have thought it was cool at the end when they got that. What would your thoughts have been if they had given this crazy power to Fury, like they uh, I, originally no. implied? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I don't want my Fury to have like superpowers i like him being a just a dude you don't fully know what he's thinking and all that good stuff yeah i'm glad that it was revealed that it was guy at the end and it wasn't fury with superpowers now do you think sonya puts gaia in the captain carter uniform makes her a british captain america whoa (laughs) (laughs) wow this is too much she needs a super suit (laughs) well i guess we'll see uh who the hell knows uh, but just talking about the ending in general, this is like the few things that we have to get to before we close out. Like the final sequence with Fury calling the president, right? So Fury is able to both orchestrate the defeat of Gravik and save the president. You would think that would be a good thing, but it actually leads to the president declaring war on the scrolls and all like non-Earth or just like alien life living on Earth. Like, get the hell out of here. And that basically creates this crazy 
um, people are scared because they're like, anybody could be a scroll. So now you have innocent people being killed because like crazy people think that they could be scrolls, like pe- these people in powerful positions, I guess, mainly. But then you also have people uh, killing people and being right that they're scrolls. So you're, gonna, you're getting like innocent people and innocent scrolls being killed. Um, this is all introduced like a quick little like, I don't know, like few second montage with like Fury just talking to the president on the phone. And then, yeah, then his wife shows up and they're going to leave and go do peace talks that could lead to the scrolls getting a new home. I laughed out loud when he said that line because I was like, did Fury know this entire time that he's been here that these peace talks were a possibility and that maybe he could have told the Skrulls that? Or did he just find out after, coincidentally, all this stuff happened with Gravik and that then That timing was so convenient. So it's like, okay, now maybe the Skrulls can have a home, but how are they even going to get them there? Because now they're all scattered with this weird war on Earth going on. So is he going to leave, go do peace talks? And then come back and like try and round up the million scrolls on his <laughs> ship and like, let's get out of here. <laughs> so I have no idea. I thought this ending was hilarious. Uh, it's a shame that the most interesting like aspect and premise of the show is introduced here with the president finding out about scrolls, declaring war on them, telling them to leave Earth. And then that leads to both innocence and scrolls dying because of the paranoia around the shape shifting. Very interesting idea for a show. It's introduced here, and then Fury's like, I can't deal with that. I'm too busy. I have to leave. <laughs> so what'd you guys think of like this really weird, fast ending where you were kind of like this kind of cool montage? Um, and then, yeah, well, I mean, what'd you think of all these? Because this is what we were talking about, even in non-spoiler. I mean, these are the open threads that we, we thought this was what the show was going to be about. And then at the end, they're still open. And who the hell knows, like you said, Austin, knowing the MCU these days, like when do when does this get resolved? I don't know. So what'd you guys think? The only thing I could think while they were going through this montage was, man, imagine if this had been the opening of the show. That would have been yeah. a great way to hook you in. I would have been like, whoa, people are getting gunned down in the streets in the MCU. I can't wait to watch the show. But then the credits roll like two minutes later. I was laughing how how many people were getting gunned down on live TV, too. Yeah. Al Roker's like, so that's what it's like weather wise here. Let's check on your neck of the woods. And like a shotgun just blows. <laughs> <Look up>! Ow! <laughs> Yeah, it, I, I agree. I mean, it was super goofy. And yeah, it's like whenever Maria Hill died at the end of episode one, it feels like episode two could have started maybe with something like this or kind of leaning towards that wedge. It's just very weird that like they introduced it right there at the end with a quick phone call. <laughs> I don't know. And I was surprised, too, that we never got the answer to what he was actually doing in space this whole time. Well, it doesn't Gravit call him out for that, too. Gravit's like... You were supposed to be phoning us a home, and you haven't, or something like that. He's like, well, I haven't found it yet. And he's like, <laughs> it's not even that. If, if, you believe what, if you believe what the Gaia version of Fury said, he realized that like two years in, and then just was like, oh, well, sucks for you guys. You're going to keep doing my bidding. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, yeah, that was another weird thing. Like, yeah, he's just like, Grab, get off my back, okay? I just haven't found it yet. But yeah, that's. That's the same thing I was thinking of that Austin said with like the Gaia thing. Like if we believe Gaia as Fury, you have that cool line where Fury's like, "No, I I knew a couple years in I wasn't gonna find it, but like, I didn't have the heart to say it or like whatever it may be." So yeah, is that what we're supposed to believe that on this ship he was like actively searching for planets? Is that what he was doing? Is he doing something else? I don't know. They call it Saber. I think is the name. Like not Shield. Yeah. It's Saber. So I guess that's the organization that he's with when he's up there or something. But yeah, I, I guess I was unclear on if this entire time that he was on that ship, was he actively looking for their home? Or I don't was he think doing so. Other things, I don't know. Because he's been there since far from home, which would not imply that he's been like 
his priority hasn't been the scrolls that whole time, I don't think. I thought he was setting up like a defense for the next Thanos. Right. Yeah. So I thought, yeah, that's right. So maybe that's what he was doing. And he was trying to do both. So I don't know. I don't know. Like, I, got, I guess they'll have to address that in the Marvels to some degree, because I think he, he's in space. So it's like, maybe we'll find out then. I don't know. And then, yeah, I guess real quick, I know, you know, that's obviously the secret invasion side of things. But, you know, it might be fun to close out here with the roadie side. Very quick resolution to that where, you know, he the scroll version of him gets killed by Fury. Uh, then we see whenever they're waking up everybody at the end, uh, they pull out um, Martin Freeman's character as well as Rhodey. He's back, yeah, baby. I'm back. Everyone's um, favorite. He can be yeah, in Black Panther 3. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know if it's the next thing that Rhodey is confirmed to be in, but we do know, obviously, his own movie is coming in the near future, I guess, and that's Armor Wars, and that's one that I've actually been kind of low-key excited for for a while, just because the premise is cool. It's like, you know, Tony Stark's, um, like, tech falls into the wrong hands, and, like, Tony's, like, been long dead, so it's up to Rhodey to kind of uh, take that personal quest to right those wrongs. I think they've said that Sam Rockwell as Justin Hammer might be involved. I think James Spader as Ultron might be somehow involved. There could be an emotional arc of, like, Rhodey coming back and almost, like, Fury after the blip feeling, like, helpless. Like, you know, it might be interesting to see a Rhodey come back, trying to, like, re get back into his old life and realize he, like, lost all this time and someone was just walking around in his skin. So there could be some interesting things. Is there anything specific you'd like to see, like, kind of follow up in a Rhodey project? I'm much more interested in seeing the ramifications of Rhodey coming back as himself than I am about any of the, like, lingering questions about the future of the scrolls. Maybe it's just because we know more about Rhodey, but I, I do want the answers to that character of how long has he been impersonated for? What does his life look like now? Yeah, I can't wait to see whatever he's in next, him kind of dealing with the consequences of this, because we really haven't, still really have not gotten a great character dealing with the loss of time from the blip. So if we can get a character dealing with the loss of time from being impersonated, maybe that'll kind of scratch that itch. Yeah, I want to see like where his career is gone. I mean, we were joking about him like being the president's like number one guy but we yeah he's he's in the air force we already we always know that he was like the the whole uh weapons dealer uh i guess ambassador for the air force between him and stark tech and then um but as far as roadie goes i want to see like if he's done any like updates to like the war machine suit or maybe if he has like more of them maybe there's like a whole team of war machine guys now yeah, we'll see. Um, I'm kind of with you. I think as of now, at least, I'm more excited about a solo roadie project than the lingering questions of the scrolls. I think mainly right now it's because I just don't trust that they'll resolve it in an interesting way or a timely way. The example Austin always uses, and it does get funnier and funnier, is that at the end of Eternals, they reveal that a celestial is like slowly coming out of Earth. <laughs> and like, have they referenced that there's this big celestial, like planet sized thing like sticking out of earth now <laughs> not yet nobody's so, found it yet i guess yeah i don't know just couldn't see it <laughs> get off my <laughs> back okay i just didn't see it yet i <laughs> can't see it from all their satellites yeah so we'll see you know we'll see what happens um but before we close out here guys it is time for our arnie's podcast awards this is the part of our show where we take something positive negative or something in between from the project we just talked about and we give it a specific award so guys what are you thinking today? I think I'm going to give Nick Fury the burgeoning alcoholic award. Fury's dealing with a lot. It seems like he's turning to alcohol to help cope with it. And uh, we just need to get this guy some help. So the burgeoning alcoholic award is Nick Fury. 
Yeah, he needs to be careful about how much he drinks, because if he drinks even more, then he's going to somehow forget even more about Talos than he already did. <laughs> but it's funny, Austin, your award kind of leads into my award, too. I'm going to give out the, the Subtle Advertisement Award, and that goes to, you could say, Rhodey, or Scroll Rhodey, and Nick Fury for advertising the Pappy Van Winkle bourbon that's a $5,000 bottle. They mentioned it several times how much it was. Being the head of the Secret Service must come with a pretty hefty salary if they're keeping that bottle of bourbon on hand. I suppose so. I mean, he does a great job as the head of the Secret Service. He kind of lets the president walk around solo. Um, he doesn't clear rooms when he walks into them. He has access to a highly like weaponized Stark Tech armor, but he forgets to bring it to work. <laughs> um, when the president gets attacked, he just sits in his car and watches. And just like smiles menacingly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a very interesting. There, a lot of perks come with that role. I still want to know, like, when the president got sworn in, they were like, sir, we need to decide on the head of your security detail. And he's oh, like, war machine, war machine. That would be great. And they were like, yes, but he lost the suit. Honestly, sir, get off his back. He just can't find it right now. <laughs> he's too busy grieving for the loss of his friend, Tony, who he yeah, doesn't he, really know because he he's actually a scroll. He buried his war machine armor in a grave right next to Tony Stark. He's <laughs> like, I can't, I can't. Um, but yeah, Austin talking about, you know, this role coming with a high salary leads to my award. Um, it goes to somebody, how do I want to phrase this? It's the most money made for the least amount of work. And that goes to our dear, dear friend, Martin Freeman. How much money do you guys think he got paid to be in the final episode where he just, he just like slowly like wakes up out of a bed and just goes, Rody, is that you? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm going to say conservatively $250,000. <laughs> you might be right. <laughs> wow. He got uh, billing at, in the credits of every episode. He did. It said special wow. guest star Martin Freeman. I was like, he wasn't in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, guys. Well, with that, thank you all so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we would appreciate that to so continue to grow our show. Please leave us reviews as well. Even if you want to write anything, leaving us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, really does help us out. At The Arnie's is our social, and thearnies.media is the website. We'll be back on Tuesday for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. Are you guys excited for this one? Because I gotta say, I've heard good things. I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I'm a secret, pretty big TMNT fan. I'm also a pretty big TMNT fan, and I can't wait for this one. Um, I've avoided anything Michael Bay touched with this franchise, so I haven't seen any of those movies. But I grew up with this uh, with the animated show and everything like that, so can't wait. Every trailer I see gets me more excited. Um, the cast is insane out of this world. The idea of having the Ninja Turtles be actual teenagers is really fun to me, so yeah, can't wait to see it. You know, I did not grow up watching TMNT. Like, it was around in the house. Like, like, an episode would come on every now and then, and I would watch it, but I was not a big fan. So I'm excited to learn about that universe and these characters. I want you guys to educate me as we go along. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm pumped to see the movie, though. See what it's all about. All right, lastly, we want to hear from you guys, so please send us a message on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us thearniesmedia at gmail.com. What did you think of Secret Invasion? Will Marvel give us a good villain again? Can we please get less of these shows? Anything you say, we'll read on the show and react to it live in our latest episode. That's right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed this one. We'll see you next time. Have a great rest of your week. And I don't really know what else to say here. I guess thoughts and prayers to our boy Don Cheadle. All right. See ya. Bring back Terrence Howard. <laughs>